This is Come and See by Father Ron Baird for January 30th, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Paul, in his epistle today, is writing to the church in Corinth. Corinth is in Greece, and if you remember, Greece is sort of the Well, if Egypt was the um, cradle of civilization, Greece was the cradle of knowledge. When Alexander the Great had conquered what was the known Western world at that time, then essentially he spread the Greek language, Greek philosophy, you know, Greek concepts and ideas, Greek worldviews throughout all of the world. And the Romans, even though they ended up taking over that empire, didn't replace it, they adopted it. And it became part of who they were. The Greeks were very, very proud of their tradition. They still are. As a matter of fact, you you happen to go to Greece. This is the country that produced Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, Pythagoras. They were the elite, the brilliant. They were the ones who had the Spartans, the most fierce warriors the world had known for those days. So they took great pride in their ability to debate. And if you wanted to convince them of something, you had to do it with reason. You had to be able to explain it to them in a way that made sense to them so that they could understand it. That's the context in which Paul is writing this letter, in which he says that the cross is foolishness to the Greeks. And it's a stumbling block to the Gentiles. So you have to kind of look at why that is. Well, when we think of a cross, you know, we, we tend to think of a silver cross that, you know, somebody's using to fight ward off vampires, you know, you know, hold it off, there's power in that. Um, and we have it from 2,000 years of history, a lot of which comes from this verse. But it would be almost like you... We're trying to tell somebody, here's what I need you to understand. That guy that was electrocuted in the electric chair was God. And so the cross, I mean, the the electric chair is the power of God. Now, if I told you that an electric chair was the power of God, what would you think? Sounds a little bizarre, doesn't it? I mean... Might be the power of American Electric, but probably not the power of God. But and yet that's what Paul is in essence telling the people in Corinth. That a, a form of execution, you know, the most dreaded form of execution, reveals the very power of God. And the one who is executed is God. Can you see why that would be a little far fetched? You know, somehow or other, that doesn't fit in with Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, does it? I don't think you can get a Pythagorean theorem to work that one out. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. How can a criminal being executed reveal the power of God? Well, to think about it, you have to go back to this whole concept that the Greeks are seeking wisdom, the Jews seek signs. Signs are miracles, you know, uh, manifestations of power. He didn't talk a lot about that to the people in Corinth because there weren't that many Jews there. 
But, but he talks a lot about this seeking wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, what is wisdom? Let me ask you. What do you all think wisdom is? Knowledge? Understanding of the knowledge? Hmm? Revealing of truth. Who do you think is the most wise person you all can think of? It's alive. Let me <laughs> today. Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. He's a very bright guy. But Bill Gates. Max Lucado. And then interesting though, you know, we come up with these people. I said Stephen Hawking. Um, he's the physicist that did the whole thing. He's kind of taken over from Albert Einstein. Um. Wisdom to us has a lot. If, if you want your kids or grandkids to be wise, what do you tell them they need to do? Hmm? Study? Speak the truth? Read? Mostly it's about ingathering, isn't it? And yet, discernment? Listen to, mostly you, right? Yeah, I know. Uh, listen to your elders, mostly me, if it's me. Wisdom is, not necessarily, I mean, you can be wise and not apply it, I suppose. You can tell other people about it and they can apply it. You can see that wisdom, in, in, even in our mind today, and, and we tell people this, if you want to get ahead in the world, what do you need to do? In education. I can remember working with the Westerville School Board once on their Violence Prevention Task Force, I think is what they called it at the time. Um, it was after they'd had a, a string of bad things that had happened in the Westerville schools. And they'd asked some of the citizens in Westerville to come and, and discuss this. And so we were talking about that. And I said, um, well, you have all these things and your tracks are okay, but I mean, they're all, they all seem geared towards kids that go to college. I said, well, yeah. I said, what about kids that don't go to college? They said, well, we can't guarantee that there will be success in every case. And I said, no, I mean, what about kids who really probably aren't met? to go to college. I mean, they're just, it's not, their aptitude is not what they're good at. And the the person on the, the school system's administration looked at me and said, all of our kids are supposed to go to college. And you all know me, I looked at him and said, well, that would explain a lot of the partying and dropouts that go on in college then. And I said, why are all of them supposed to go to college? And he said, because all of their parents want them to go to college. And I said, even if it isn't good for them, it is good for them. Everyone knows to get ahead in the world, you have to get an education. And I challenged that a little bit. I didn't last on the commission long. (laughs) In case y'all can't tell, but... um, (laughs) I said, well, 
why do they all want that? Well, that way they can get better jobs. And I said, that's not true. Oh, yes, it is. There's statistical evidence that shows it. I said, yes, and there are people with philosophy degree, bachelor's of degrees and philosophies who work as bartenders, and there are people who went and learned how to repair heating and air conditioning and are making a whole lot of money. <laughs> I said, so obviously it's not just to be able to make a good living. Because, and honestly, you probably make more money as an electrician or a plumber, a lot of those things in most college degrees. There are some that you could still do better in college, but I don't think you have to have a liberal arts degree. You have to have training. You do have to have training. But I don't know that our colleges, our universities, teach heating and air conditioning, do they? Yeah. But so that was my point, though, is don't you need to, isn't there more to life than the accumulation of knowledge? And then I, you look at the other side of it and, and you talk to kids who are going to school. Well, why are you taking that, that coursework? Well, because I'll have a better chance of getting a job when I get out if I take that. I go, but you said you hate it. Oh, I do. It's terribly boring. So you want to get a job for the rest of your life doing something that's terribly boring? Yes. And I thought, well, this ought to be interesting. You know, now education isn't just to be educated either, is it? It has to have a goal. I remember my dad when, just to let you all know where I came from, I was a history major and a philosophy minor, philosophy and psychology. That should tell you something. Um, and my dad once said to me, hmm, there's a lot of jobs for philosophers out there. <laughs> Little did I know. <laughs> um, but he wasn't paying for it, so he didn't care. But He just thought it was a little strange. And knowledge becomes sort of the foundational stone, even in our society. You, know, you have to learn. You know, we have to teach our kids. We have to be the best in our education systems. And yet, when you look at today's gospel lesson, it would seem to refute that. I mean, epistle lesson, it would seem to refute that, wouldn't it? That the Greeks seek wisdom? But it's foolishness? As a matter of fact, God chose the foolish to confound the wise. So, what does that mean then? Does that mean that we should teach all of our kids, you should go out and be foolish. Be good at it. <laughs> no. Obviously, there's a catch in here somewhere. And the problem with knowledge is, is what Paul says later in the thing. He says, knowledge puffs up. Same letter. Knowledge puffs up. Have you ever met anybody who is very impressed with themselves? I mean, I'm smart. Um, I can tell you I'm not smart. <laughs> um, matter of fact, I rarely have an original thought. Um, I've kind of learned to apply what a lot of other people come up with, but, <laughs> but I'm not particularly smart. I'm no Stephen Hawking, that's for sure. And... But, and part of it is that I know that knowledge puffs up. I don't want to consider myself smart because in comparison to the cross, it is worthless. So how is it that a form of execution can put to shame all of the conventional wisdom of the world? Is it that 
education is a bad thing? Is it that, you know, there's no point in doing it? No. What it is is all too often what we do in our schoolwork, what we do in our um, careers, what we do in our life, we see as our achievements. And we tell people, if you work hard enough, you can be what? Hmm? If you work hard enough, you can do what? Anything. I want to be emperor of the universe. Can I accomplish that? And what was even more unfair, and this is how I discovered it, I wanted to be a rock star. And I worked hard. I played the guitar every day as soon as I got home from school. I played for hours. I played until my fingers bled. And learned and learned and learned and learned. I would play until my dad said, if somebody doesn't put that cat out of its misery, I'm going to come in there and kill it. (laughs) Then I had to find another place to practice. I worked hard. I'm not a rock star. (laughs) There came a point at which I realized I was not the next Paul McCartney. Um, And that was a good thing. Because up until that point, I kept thinking I was going to be, and I was pedaling nowhere pretty fast. So what is wisdom then? What is this power of God that is revealed in a form of execution called the cross? What is it that that we should seek? What we should seek is not the wisdom of the world, but the wisdom of God. You know what the word wisdom means? in Greek is? Anybody know what that is? Anybody here know what it means to be a sophomore? Hmm? A wise fool? In some ways, yes. Um, Because the word sophia or sophos is the Greek word from which we get that. What is sophistry? Somebody who's really smart, they talk a lot and don't say a whole lot. You know, it goes around and around and around. We have lots of words for wisdom that actually apply to exactly what Scripture is talking about. By the sophomore is the person who's been in school long enough to really become wise, wise enough to be foolish, <laughs> to not realize that they don't know nearly as much as they think they do. You know, to act sophomoric then means what? What does it mean? Act foolish? Well, sort of, but yeah, it's to act like you know a lot when in reality you don't. I would suggest to you that that's where most of us live. You know, we act like we know more. I can remember Howard Hanchy, who was here a long time ago, for those of you, he was a professor I had um, from Virginia Seminary, came and helped us with Christian education back in 96 or so, if you all were here then. But he would tell us, when you graduate, you will have a master in divinity. That means that you are a master of divine things. And if that doesn't scare you enough, you should be. Now, I didn't know what he was talking about then. Now I do. You know, because I'm hardly a master of God. I've hardly mastered everything that it means to be God. What Paul is saying here, 
is that to grasp wisdom of the world is foolishness. Because you can have all the wisdom in the world and die with nothing. You may have it all. You may have accumulated wealth. You may have accumulated power. You may have accumulated um, honor and prestige and awards and all kinds of things. And do you know what happens to every single one of those when you're dead? They're not yours anymore, are they? And so he says, for us, Christ is the power and wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. And the wisdom that we seek is not so much knowledge and understanding, which will puff us up, but rather knowledge and understanding of who God is and what God wants. Now, that isn't necessarily contradictory to getting an education, by the way. It, it, it Actually, the church is the one that formed education. And we, we started public schools. We started um, universities. You know, we, we were the first people to award doctorates in the world. I mean, it, it was the church that did all of these things. The difference now, though, is that the knowledge is independent of God, isn't it? And so you can gain all sorts of information, but if you don't know why it's there, and you don't know why you're there, and what your purpose is, then what use is it? You will accomplish nothing. It'll all fall apart. But if you acquire information and knowledge to use to apply to those things that God had planned for you so that it intersects with the things that he has planned for others, imagine what the world could accomplish. Imagine what could be possible. That's why when people look at you know, the whole concept of the cross and, and say this is um, the wisdom of God, If you all were Jesus, would you think that being tortured to death and crucified was a wise thing to choose? I mean, do you think your relatives would be going, go for it? You're going to be the best resurrected Savior yet. What do you think they'd really be saying? Leave town. (laughs) Shut up. Go along. Live to fight another day. And yet, this very foolish thing to do of surrendering your very life is what brought life to the world. And oddly enough, even brought education to the world. And so it's it's not so much that the two are in in, um, opposition to one another. It's that without God, it becomes as meaningless as a mosquito is to you. It's just stuff. Just facts. Just information. But with God, in sharing in his crucified life, in sharing in his death on the cross, we gain the righteousness, the power, and the wisdom of God. We become righteous because we now are living 
or seeking to live in accordance with those reasons that God created us. We become powerful because we are now doing the work that God has given us to do, which will accomplish great things, ultimately culminating in the kingdom of God. We become wise because now we are serving the Lord, who is the creator of all things, through whom all things were made, through whom all things ultimately will come together to work for the good. And so when we teach our kids or when we ourselves are learning or when we ourselves are doing anything, we should teach them and teach ourselves that, yes, study hard, but don't forget to ask God what it is that he wants you to do with it. Yes, apply yourself, but not just to anything. Apply yourself to those things that God wants you to do. It is an odd thing, just to end with an experience of my own. When I went to college, um, I had no idea. At first, I wanted to be a rock star, and that wasn't going to work, so I went to college as a backup. And, um, well, they say don't, they always said, you know, keep your day job. So I went to college as a backup, and then I was going to be a, a TV anchor. What do you think? Probably not. Eh. I'll make a good one, you yeah. um, I tried that. I said, no, nah, that's not right. And so then I decided to do a very weird thing. I just started praying and saying, what looks good here? And I took that class and that class and that class and that class. And after about three years, somebody said, what kind of degree are you going to get? Do you know how I found out what kind of degree I was going to get? Hmm? Yeah. I said, okay, if you take all these classes, what are the requirements in these different fields and what kind of degree will you end up having if you do this and what else do I have to take in order to get that degree? It's exactly how I did it. And then my dad said, are there a lot of jobs for philosophers out there or historians? And so then I said, well, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And I had really three sort of options. I could have gone on into teaching. Um, I still would have had to go to graduate school because I hadn't taken the teaching courses in college. But that was okay because you had to get that done anyway, right? I, I could have gone to law school, which the thought of being, you know, Matlock or something was sort of appealing. Um, Perry Mason had always done such an excellent job, and he seemed to live well. Um, and all the lawyers are going, yeah, right. <laughs> um, and then I thought about, well, I could go to, to seminary. And that old idea that God said there was something he wanted me to do kept coming back. And so I thought, okay, I'll try it. I don't know if it's the right thing or not. I, I blew my commission on ministries, mine, because I went, they said, so why do you want to be a priest? I said, I don't. <laughs> they said, why are you here? And I said, because God wants me to be a priest, I think. And quite honestly, if you tell me he doesn't, you probably know him better than I do. So that would be good. They didn't quite know what to do with that. I mean, they, we never had anybody actually tell. I said, they said, well, we want you to do this and this and this. Okay, fine. I'll go do that. No problem. So I did all that. And they said, yeah, you ought to go to seminary. I went, well, all right. So I went to seminary and fell in love because now it wasn't work anymore to study. I mean, 
I got the Thomas Aquinas Summa Theologica Award from my classmates. They always awarded these funny awards for having read everything on the syllabus. But I loved it. I mean, it, it was like, wow, this is so neat. I mean, it was, I just couldn't get enough of it. I just was soaking it in. And people would say, don't you ever get tired of studying? I said, are you kidding? I used to work full time and go to school at night. This is a breeze. <laughs> I mean, this is wonderful. And I would just read and read and read. And even at the end of that, I still said, Lord, you've gotten me this education. What do you want me to do with it? When I was in Point Pleasant, I said, Lord, you wanted me to come here and do these things, stabilize this congregation. It's stabilized. What do you want me to do now? Guess where I am now? You know, that's the goal, is to teach ourselves and our kids always to use whatever we have to find out what the Lord wants us to do with it. What does he want us to accomplish with it? Because honestly, if everybody is out doing their own thing and feathering their own nest, everything gets divided into chunks. And some people says, some people say, you've got too much. I want some of that. And it, and it all ends up being chaotic and conflictual. I mean, it's sort of like driving to work on Monday morning, isn't it? That's my space on the highway. You have no right to it. Whoever gets there first wins. By the way, don't you wonder who it is that actually gets to the office first in the morning of all the people who go to work? They ought to put it on the Internet or something every day to let people know. Because there seems to be very important uh, to do. But if you let God guide you, and if we let God guide us, imagine what can happen. Imagine what can be built. When the Roman Empire had fallen apart, They'd moved to the east, and the barbarians had come and sacked Rome, and, and the, they were going into the Dark Ages, and people were falling apart. Pope Leo, who's now called the Great, decided the church needs to help here. and stepped in and just started organizing things and kept things together so that people would have a place to go, made sure that some people were educated in a place where there wasn't much education. Made sure that some people became doctors when the plague came around. All because somebody said, Lord, what do we do with this? Do you do that? When you go to work tomorrow, are you going to bother to ask the Lord, Lord, you put me in this place. I wouldn't be here if not for you. What, what is it you want me to do? And how can I do that to the best of my ability? Show me what to do. Tell me what to say. And when we do that, when all the parts of the body, as Paul says, begin to work together, then incredible things start happening. And when they don't, have you ever been to the symphony? You ever heard the, the when they're warming up? That's what the world sounds like. <laughs> We're all warming up. Now, warming up's not a bad thing, but sooner or later, somebody needs to look at the conductor and do what it is that they called him to do. For us who call ourselves Christians, who would choose to take the foolishness of God to confound the wise and the power of God to bring down the powerful, he is our conductor. 
So today and tomorrow, are you willing to start asking him? Lord, show me. That approach can change the world. Not only your world, but the whole world. That approach, if we teach our kids, can change a generation. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. didn't back then either. But it does happen. That's the kind of power that God is willing to trust you with. The only question is, is are you willing to listen to the tap, tap, tap and look up at the conductor? Amen. You have been listening to Come and See by Father Ron Baird. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see.